So we'll begin <clears throat> this evening's talk with a few moments as though sitting under the Bodhi tree with Siddhartha Gautama 2,500 years ago. So settling into your seat and closing your eyes. Towards the end of that long and now famous night under the bow tree and after Mara, the personification of all the dark and potentially destructive forces in the mind had let fly the arrows of greed and aversion and delusion at Siddhartha Gautama. These arrows that Mara hoped would stick and then distract Siddhartha from the clarity and the strength of his great vow and his courageous determination to fully awaken Mara then shot the last arrow that was left in the quiver. The arrow of doubt, self-doubt, accompanied by these words. What makes you think that you have the right to be sitting here? What makes you think you have the right to be sitting here where and how you are? Just Who do you think you are, anyway? The Bodhisattva, the just-about-to-be-Buddha, protected within the great strength of his mindful presence, which was enlivened by a keen interest and a penetrating sense of investigation accompanied by clear discernment. This about-to-be-Buddha supported by the tremendous energy of his determination and flow of an effortless effort, imbued with an enlivening and refreshing joy, balanced within the deep power and the cool ease of an unwavering and undistracted mind. Siddhartha Gautama sitting under the bow tree that night with unshakable stability with an evenness and balance of receptive presence as though he were an immovable mountain with all of these qualities all of these factors of mind and heart perfectly in place in response to Mara's challenge the Bodhisattva with his amazing grace just simply reach down and touch the earth with the fingertips of his right hand letting Mara know that the earth was bearing witness to his right to be sitting where and how he was and Mara was defeated never again to have any lasting power over Siddhartha Gautama who that night became the Buddha.
And so we sit, and maybe not always quite like the Buddha sat on that night 2,500 years ago, but we sit and we practice with much sincerity and determination. At home alone, maybe with your sangha, with your practice community, and now here in retreat. As awakening beings, as we practice, the particular qualities of heart and mind that were so perfectly in place within Siddhartha on that night under the bow tree, as we practice, these capacities of heart and mind continue to develop and deepen and mature within ourselves. It's inevitable, actually, that this happens if we keep on practicing. This evening we'll explore the quality or the factor of mind that's one of the most fundamental underlying factors of our practice. I mentioned it last night, and this evening we'll explore it in more depth, this factor of mindfulness. And as we explore mindfulness this evening, allow the words to be a touch point or a pointing out towards directly connecting with mindfulness within yourself, which is facilitated by what I like to call listening from the heart rather than listening from the head. So in support of this, it's very helpful to deeply relax in and through the body. So let's just take a couple of moments right now to drop into the body with a bright and yet very easy attention. And relaxing from head to toe. Letting the whole body, heart and mind deeply relax into simple, direct presence. And with an open heart, simply hearing. The Buddha spoke about mindfulness as being like a precious gem, and that it's supported, he said, by seclusion, impartiality, and renunciation. In fact, the very conditions that we have here potentially on retreat. A pervasive and deep mindfulness along with a calm, concentrated mind are really the key factors for the heart, the mind, to ripen into the letting go that's necessary for awakening. I often think of mindfulness as the mother, the great mother of all 
the factors of mind that are necessary for awakening. In fact, the great mother of the whole of our practice from beginning to end. In a sense, it's the factor or the quality of mind that gives birth to all the other factors necessary for liberation. The Buddha spoke about mindfulness as being the chief. That was the word he used. So maybe a kind of male-female way of speaking about it. We could say then, combining the two, that mindfulness is the chief mother. And when it really begins to be established in us, it's the ingredient, we could say, that offers us our greatest protection. In Pali, the word for mindfulness is sati. And it's sometimes translated as memory or to remember. To remember, to reconnect. To connect or reconnect to the present moment's experience of body and mind. I think for many of us, at least at times, we forget to be mindful because of our strong, habituated conditioning to not remember, to not directly, freshly, and purely connect to the present moment's experience, but rather remain resting in the inertia of our habits. Once in a Dhamma discussion with friends some years ago, someone asked, what makes mindfulness a spiritual practice? Which is really quite a good question because the word mindfulness is quite common, commonly used these days, and is so commonly used that some of its depth and some of its potency has been dissipated. So what makes mindfulness a spiritual practice? the great intimacy of mindfulness. This moment's experience is just this. Absolutely believing our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, mind, and heart. Absolutely believing our body and mind. Meaning, absolutely believing what comes to be known through cultivating a powerful, direct, immediate, mindful awareness. Being receptive to what is, without the forethought of concepts, past experience, the ideas of how we think it is, or should be, or could be. As the great teacher Krishnamurti said, beginning as though you don't know anything about it and moving from innocence to innocence. This relationship to experience is sometimes called the don't know mind. With this great intimacy of mindful presence opening us to understanding the way it really is which may appear so clear and simple. 
that we can hardly believe it. The Buddha's mindfulness asks asks us to not remain resting in the inertia of our old habits, but to meet the experience of the moment with a fresh, connected intimacy, to come close, very close, and to see how it is. Mindfulness doesn't kind of float or skim along the surface of things. It connects, going right into the object. And yet at the same time, it's not a sticky, fixed kind of connection. Mindfulness is a clear, fluid connection that lights on an object just long enough and just deep enough to know it. This is the flavor of attention that allows for a penetrating investigation and a clear comprehension of whatever it connects with. Mindfulness is the active aspect of awareness. And as I mentioned last night, it's a non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting orientation to present moment's experience. And at its best, purely receptive in its relationship to whatever's presenting itself in the present moment. And of course we pay attention to a whole range of experience including things that we usually do quite mechanically. Breathing, walking, moving the body, seeing, hearing, tasting, thinking, touching. We pay attention to phenomena that's pleasant, that may be wonderful and easy to be with, and we give attention to experience that's unpleasant, experience that may be difficult to be with. We open to all of it. No parts left out. The very stuff of our lives is our path to liberation. It's not, well, I could be really mindful if only I wasn't so restless. Or I could really be mindful if I didn't feel so much anger or so much sadness or so much pain. Then I could really be mindful. Or I could certainly be mindful if I wasn't sick. If I felt better, I could be mindful. I could definitely be mindful if I wasn't so caught up in thought or if I wasn't so attracted or so attached to beauty. Then I could, I could be mindful then. Mindfulness is about living in the action. Living in the action of the body, the heart, and the mind living in the present moment's experience. In a sense, we forget ourself. We, in a sense, lose our self, so to say, in what is. So there's just what is, without anything added or needing to be added, and without taking anything away 
or needing to take anything away. With mindful awareness, we have the (coughs) possibility of thinking, of not thinking, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. The moment that we think, I'm doing this, we're creating or recreating a sense of a separate self, creating a separation, a disconnection from the reality of the way of things, and we're living then in an idea, the idea of (coughs) I, the idea of me, the idea of mine, instead of purely living in the action. And this will certainly present itself as we engage in these three creative modalities as the retreat goes on. As you engage in these three practices, creative practices, that will be offered during the weeks, two <coughs> weeks, the movement, the seeing, drawing, and the writing, with mindfulness being the underlying root of your practice, the opportunity to mindfully investigate and see the presence of freedom or the presence of suffering in relationship to self-view, in relationship to the erroneous view of a separate, solid, static me. Your experiences of freedom and your experiences of suffering will become clearer and clearer. As I mentioned in last evening's Dhamma talk, practitioners or yogis, as they're very often called in Theravada Buddhist retreats, sometimes think of mindfulness as a kind of magic. (coughs) Though, as I mentioned, not the magic of the magician that creates an illusion and then pulls us into this illusion, the delusion. The magic and the great beauty of mindfulness is that it takes us out of the illusion, out of delusion, directly into reality. Without it, we're bound. We're imprisoned in the assumed appearances of things. The result being that we unnecessarily suffer in this believed unreality. So again, some words from Krishnamurti. If we don't know what mindfulness is, we're like a blind person in a world of bright color, shadows, and moving light. No matter who we are, where or how we live, all of us, every one of us, want to live with ease. All of us want to be happy. And most of us hope and even assume that much of our life experience at any given time is permanently in place.
And of course, from myriad perspectives, we harbor a hope that our life will be very deeply fulfilling. We want life to suit our passing fancies, our expectations, and our deepest desires. And as as it is in relationship to this, most people spend most of their time and most of their energy trying to accomplish all of this through external experiences. For instance, by getting this or that, or him or her, or doing this or that, or going here and there. And we go for, we try for sustaining satisfaction and contentment through the constantly changing world of our senses. As well as through the myriad constantly changing relationships that go on throughout our lives. And some of the time we know, at least intellectually, that none of this really works. The Buddha spoke about happiness that's beyond our ordinary experience of pleasure. He said that happiness arises when we're mindful. And so we take the Buddha's words to heart and look closely, very closely, to see and feel and know our experience directly. It's through our meditation practice that mindfulness is cultivated. Mindfulness happens, we could say, when we really, truly bring our attention to the present moment. And we practice this over and over and over again. Moment by moment by moment. Our practice is one of great intimacy. Really the very deepest intimacy with our own experiences. Which as practice develops and as it expands and matures, this becomes an intimacy, a kind of profound heart connection with all beings, with all things. The direction of mindfulness is to be aware, intimately aware of it, whatever it is in the moment, to see and know what is, what really truly is. How is it in this present moment? In this present moment? In this present moment? This is a basic foundation of all Buddhist practice? How is it in experiencing the eye, E-Y-E, the ear, the nose, the tongue, body, touch? How is it in experiencing the mind? How is it really? Not what you hope it is, or not what you want it to be, or imagine it to be, or don't want it to be. 
a mindful relationship to the present moment's experience is what allows clarity and a true understanding, wisdom, to (coughs) arise, to really just simply and naturally arise, which it inevitably does. We really don't do anything to make it happen. The truth is not (coughs) far away at all. It's right here, it's ever-present, immediately close, always and everywhere. And it's our greatest protection. Some years ago I was teaching a weekly class in Taos, mindfulness class, and each uh, week (coughs) students would come in and share something from their experience during the week that had to do with what we were exploring in class. So one week, uh, one of the students came in and she said that that morning she was watering her garden, something she'd done hundreds of times over the years. But she said that morning when she was watering her garden, it was as though for the very first time. And then she said, how have we survived so long in this (coughs) world without being mindful? And she went on and she said, terrible things are done when mindfulness isn't present. She had a kind of very important insight arise watering her garden. It kind of, we all took notice and appreciated what she shared that evening. The Buddha Dhamma is about transforming the mind, transforming the heart. Without mindfulness, it's as though we're living a life through binoculars that are out of focus. Our perspective, our, our perception is blurred. And we experience life through the filters, we could say, of various ideas, perceptions, opinions, fears, judgments, similar past experiences. Meditation practice grounded in a concentrated mindful awareness is about bringing everything into a very clear, sharp focus to see things as they really, truly are, as though for the first time. And to see them as though for the first time, without judgment, with a mind that's fresh. Beginner's mind. When one of my grandsons was two and a half years old, He and his mother, my daughter-in-law, were taking a walk with him uh, down uh, behind their house, uh, uh, down a hill in Pennsylvania. And my little two-and-a-half-year-old grandson's, there was a pine cone on the ground. He picked it up. He'd never, it was the first pine cone he'd ever seen in his life. So he picked it up, and he looked at it. He turned it every which way he possibly could. And then he stuck it up to his nose and smelled it 
from every part of it. Then he stuck his tongue on it, licked it, tasted it all the way around. Very present, mindful, investigating this new experience, this new thing. And then his mother and I, uh, a good grandmother and as a good grandmother and mother uh, are supposed to do, we saw we said, "This is a pine cone." <laughs> and my dear little grandson looked up at us, kind of quizzically, but he was a good boy, so he repeated the word "pine cone," and he said it a couple times. But then he just went back to his immediate, direct experience of pine cone with his fresh, open, beginner's mind. This is an attitude of mind, an attitude of heart, really, that we can learn, or maybe more accurately, relearn, to bring into our life as a whole. And it's transformative. Transformative and healing. These next two weeks will offer you many opportunities to meet and to engage in experience with this fresh, open, beginner's mind. One definition of these uh, teachings and practices is that they're the best medicine, the best medicine to make us well in the deepest and most profound (coughs) sense. Well as in freedom from the sickness of confusion, anguish, and fear. Freedom from the restlessness of wanting that stems from ongoing dissatisfaction. To make us well in the sense of freedom from suffering. There are four domains of mindfulness, four ways of setting up or establishing mindfulness in the here and now. So this evening we'll just explore the first of these domains, which is paying attention to the body in the body. Just the body as such. Not one's ideas about it or not one's interpretations of it. And of course there are many and varied and specific aspects of the body to notice and to give a careful attention to. And as all of you know, our one of our primary practice orientations to the body is mindfulness of breathing. The development of the mind and the understanding that's accessible via mindfulness of breathing is potentially profound. In making the simple sensations of the in and the out breath at the nostrils or of the rising and falling movement of the breath in the belly, the basic ground of mindful attention, I personally have been very deeply grateful and even awed at the depth and the breadth of the purification of the heart and the mind 
that happens with this practice, as well as with what comes to be seen and to understood and to be understood with a very simple and careful attention to the direct experience of breath. So now just for a moment, if your eyes aren't closed, close them. And for a moment, let's let's let the attention drop into the breath. Mindfully absorb into the rising and falling movement of the breath in the belly or the simple sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath at the nostrils. Mindfully absorbing into this experience without any self or with as little self as possible. And now just very simply notice, are you trying to control, trying to manipulate the breath? Or are you simply allowing the breath to breathe itself? It's very important to notice this without judgment, to notice it without self-recrimination, to notice it without pride. In a moment of clear seeing, there's often a sense of relief. As a friend of mine says, seeing is relieving. We might at times particularly notice each breath, each inhalation and exhalation very directly as sensation or as movement or maybe as vibration in the area of the body where we connect with the breath. Maybe noticing it right when it begins and staying with it all the way through to the end. And maybe actually noticing the ending, actually noticing the sensation of an exhalation and the beginning of the next inhalation. Or we may simply notice the movement of the in and out breathing at the nostrils or in the belly. Just this, which helps to cultivate an increasingly quiet, tranquil and peaceful breath and an overall body-mind calm which is a very fine support towards developing a more refined mindful attention. So the body in the body Mindfulness of the four postures, 
and not our ordinary, everyday, quite casual way of noticing our bodily activity, but a closer, more intimate, ongoing, careful attention to the body in every position. Standing, sitting, lying down, walking, the various movements of the body of getting up and down, flexing and extending the arms and the legs, turning and lifting and carrying, and even bringing mindfulness of the body in the body to the experiences of falling asleep and waking up. Who's moving? Who's lying down? Is there a someone? A me, an I, behind this walking, (coughs) this standing, this sitting, this movement. Beginning to see the postures and the movement of the body just as it is in itself. Can standing simply be known as standing? Just standing. Sitting is just simply sitting. Walking is just simply walking without the layer of I am or the internal feeling of this is me walking, this is me sitting, etc. Once many years ago, one of my Burmese teachers, Sada Upandita, asked me in a practice interview, he said, is there a woman or a man or a person when you're mindful of and noting walking, standing, sitting, or any bodily sensations. And for just a a brief moment when he asked this uh, to me, I was caught by the question, which in retrospect I decided was a kind of test of my practice at the time. Very quickly, in response to Sayadaw, there was a spontaneous reflection and then an outward verbal response. And I said, no, there's no woman or man or anybody known when I'm directly connected with and mindful of walking or whatever bodily phenomena is happening. So a good question you might ask yourself at some point. And maybe through the great intimacy of mindful awareness of the body, in the body, we also begin to notice the ongoing flow of conditions that every single moment of experience arises out of. So, for instance, the intention to, followed by an action or inaction. In the intimacy of mindfulness, we might begin to notice where the energy of intention, where the energy of volition begins, where it starts from and how it feels in our body. I don't in some independent, mysteriously isolated way stand up. 
or not stand up or sit or lift an arm or take a step or speak particular words. If we think and we feel that our actions come solely from the place of a separated, isolated I or me, eventually, or maybe quickly, we'll experience some degree of suffering. Our actions of body and mind and speech are always a response or a reaction in relationship to something that has occurred in our immediate field of experience or in the past. As this awareness of the body in the body blossoms, there is a very natural, non-conceptual, growing understanding of the subtler cause of suffering that begins to take hold which can open our heart to an unimaginable expanse in relationship to all beings. How identified are you? How strong is the clinging to this constantly changing and totally interrelated phenomena we call our body? One of my students, former students, uh, Roy, who was a very deeply dedicated uh, practitioner right up until his dying moment, or right through his dying moment. He died of AIDS. I was sitting with him in the hospital one day, uh, one afternoon, uh, as he was lying in his bed. It was uh, close to the time of his death, actually. And there wasn't much left of his body at that point. And while I was sitting there visiting with him, and he was lying in the bed, he stretched his arm up, straight up overhead. And he slowly turned it around and back and forth, and looking at it, very carefully, looking at it with tremendous interest, And then he said in a very cool and yet odd way, he said, wow. The form, the posture, and the movements of the body are totally dependent or interdependent on conditions. They arise dependent on conditions just as, for instance, does the arising of anger or the sensation of coolness on the skin or the liking or the disliking of some experience or Roy's body being as thin and as light as a reed. Everything happens because of a whole set of conditions coming together moment by moment. Choices are made, but in truth they, too, are always a product of the play of various conditions. Can we give such a clear, unfettered, and intimate attention to the body in itself, its movements, 
the process of intention, that we begin to directly experience this truth. The next domain of mindfulness that the uh, Buddha points us towards is giving attention to the parts of the body. And uh, all 32 of them, as that's classically uh, taught in the Buddhist texts. Hair, skin, muscles, bones, and all of various organs, uh, internal organs and fluids. In your practice here in retreat, you most likely are noticing them as they make themselves known, such as the intestines and the bladder, the heart, the lungs, maybe the liver, mucus, saliva, etc. This classical 32 parts of the body practice is one that isn't so often taught here in the West, though it actually can be quite a powerful practice in beginning to dissolve dissolve one's ideas and identification of and with this body as being a solid entity, as being mine, being me. And I have no doubt that you have in your life and in your practice here, noticed many parts of your body. Even during this first one full day of this retreat. But how often do you notice them in a mindful way? How identified are you, for instance, with the hair on your head? Or the lack of it? or the hair on your body? How do you attend to the experiences of your intestine and the digestive processes therein? Or to a moment or many moments of the heart? How do you experience your skin, this bag of flesh that holds all the various contents of the body? How often do you experience your nails, teeth, saliva, sweat, or any part of your bodily body or bodily experience with what I like to call the extraordinary qualities of mindful awareness? Non-judgmental, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting, non-self-identified attention just the body and the body, without the layers of ideas and interpretations and concerns about it, just the body as a body. This can really be a very powerful practice in beginning to dissolve one's conceptual ideas of solidity and identification with one's own body and other bodies. And some words from the Buddha regarding this. Abiding, contemplating, contemplating the body as a body internally, externally. He or she abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. This is how a yogi abides contemplating the body 
as a body. So just consider for a moment, how do you identify yourself? For most of us, if not all of us, a primary and very large part of our personal identification is related to our body. We identify ourselves in good part through rupa, the Pali word that translates as material form or materiality. So consider this for a moment in relationship to yourself. I'm a woman, or I'm a man. I'm thin, or fat, or not too thin, or not too fat. I'm tall, or short, or I'm of average height. I'm good-looking, I'm handsome, I'm beautiful, I'm ugly, I'm plain, attractive, unattractive. I have dark skin, I have light skin. I have good skin, I have bad skin. My nose is large, my nose is too big, or small, or I have a cute nose. I'm wrinkled and old and weak. I'm young and strong and smooth-skinned. And on and on and on it goes. With all of these personal identities, constantly changing over the years or just within days or within just moments in our mind. Even though we engage in tremendous effort with tremendous energy and take a lot of time in clinging to these various identities, there's just no place to hang our identity hat, so to say, for more than just a few moments. No place to rest in these constantly changing relative perceptions and ideas of who we think we are. Another important and potentially profound, profoundly insightful aspect of mindfulness that can be established in the body is related to the fact that our bodies are essentially no different from any other form, no different from any other rupa. Our human form is of the same elements as any and every other form. Nothing more, nothing less. So potentially a non-ordinary way to cut through the concept of this body as a solid, set, static entity. To cut through the I am identification. The Buddha offered a profound teaching and a very specific practice in conjunction with this teaching. And if we sincerely and seriously take it up, it can be a window opening us to the direct experience, discernment, and understanding of one aspect of ultimate reality, the ultimate reality of rupa, of form, one aspect of the reality of how it really is, how and what this body, as well as every other form, 
really is. The teaching and practice is about directly discerning the four great essentials or the four great elements. Earth, water, fire, air, wind. In directly experiencing the specific characteristics of each of these elements in the body in relationship to sensations when you're sitting, when the body's moving, and within the discernment of the breath itself. So just to give you the characteristics of each of these uh, four great elements. The characteristics of the earth element are hardness. Now think of it and relate it to your body. Hardness, roughness, heaviness, softness, smoothness, lightness. The characteristics of the water element, flowing, cohesion. Characteristics of the fire element, heat or warmth or cold or coolness. And the characteristics of the air or wind element, supporting and pushing. So this evening, I'd like to explore just uh, briefly a few of these characteristics with you directly. So begin by relaxing and bringing your attention to the breath, the rising and falling in the belly again, or to the anapana spot, the touching point at the nostrils, just for a couple of moments. And in this, letting the mind settle and focus in a very simple way and sitting comfortably. And we'll start with pushing. And begin by being aware through the sense of touch. Being aware of the sense of touch touch of the pushing in the center of the head as you breathe in and breathe out. It's subtle, but discernible. If the pushing of the breath in the center of the head isn't easy for you to discern, then try being aware of pushing in the belly as the abdomen moves with the out-breath pushing out or as the chest expands when breathing in. Excuse me, the belly pushing out with the in-breath and the chest expanding with the in-breath the sensation of pushing. Wherever there's movement, there's pushing. When you've discerned the characteristic of pushing, just concentrate on it, concentrate on it until it becomes very clear in your mind.
and then move your awareness to another part of the body nearby and look for pushing there. This can be done again and again and again in various parts of the body until wherever you place your awareness in the body you can easily see and know pushing. In some places it will be quite obvious and in others it will be quite subtle. But it's present everywhere throughout the body. Now letting the perception or the experience of pushing go and we'll we'll look for hardness, discerning hardness. And begin by discerning hardness in the teeth, by biting your teeth together just a few times and feeling how hard they are. Now relax your bite and feel the hardness of the teeth. Take some focus of attention to do this. When you can feel this, try to discern hardness throughout the body in a somewhat systematic way. similar to the way that you did with discerning pushing. And in the process, take care not to deliberately tense the body. And now, letting go of the experience of hardness. We're moving quickly just to give you a little taste. And we'll go to softness. Begin by gently pressing your tongue against the inside of your upper or lower lip and feel its softness. until you have softness in your mind. You know softness. The inside of your upper or lower lip. Now relax your body and again begin in some relatively systematic way discerning softness throughout the body.
Now letting go of the discernment of softness and we'll look for heat or warmth throughout the body. Usually very easy to see and know. Heat, warmth. And next, coolness or coldness. And a good way to enter into this is to feel the coldness of the breath as it enters into the nostrils or the coolness of the breath as it enters into the nostrils. You might take a little bit of a deeper breath and feel that coolness coming in. And then begin to discern coolness or coldness throughout the body. And now letting this go. All of the elemental characteristics that we've explored so far are known directly through the sense of touch. The next two characteristics that we'll briefly look at are known, uh, uh, to some degree they're known through inference as well as through direct experience. And these are the characteristics of flowing, and cohesion, the characteristics of the water element. So we'll just take a few minutes to explore this quality of cohesion in your body. Awareness of how the body is held together by the skin and the flesh and the sinews. Blood being held in by tissue and skin like water in a balloon. Without cohesion, this body would fall into separate pieces and particles. And the force of gravity, which keeps the body stuck to the earth, is also cohesion, which is actually an experience that you've probably found quite easily and is quite clearly discernible at times. So we're let go of this exploration for now. The exploration of the elemental nature of the body. How intimately, how mindfully connected are you to these most basic and universal experiences? This body in its elemental nature, essentially no different from any other form. The last instruction from the Buddha in relationship to this first establishment 
Mindfulness is the contemplation of the stages of decay in a corpse. Seemingly not something that we have much of an opportunity to do in a retreat setting. But the truth of the matter is that there are many kinds of corpses around to observe in a place like this. Insects. Maybe birds. Maybe other creatures. And certainly uh, many corpses of plants and trees and flowers. All forms of life are mortal. All forms, all rupas are mortal. They have the nature to die and decompose, or just to deconstruct and decompose. So consequently, it's possible to observe this directly. I've been in retreat in various places over the years, and at times quite purposefully observed the dying process of flowers and grasses, and continued over time to observe them go through all of the changes that things do as and after they die, that all things do. And once when I was on retreat with a few friends on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, where we rented a house on the shore of the ocean for a couple of months to practice together, I had the great good fortune, or maybe good fortune only in the world of Dhamma practice, but I had the great good fortune to come upon a a dead seal on the beach. And every day for a month, I walked down to that body, and I sat with it for a while, observing and letting in the process of decomposition and decay, which in this instance was happening uh, quite quickly because it was being helped along by the many seagulls who found the seal's decaying flesh to be delicious food. This daily practice over that month-long retreat was really quite a heart-mind-changing experience for me on many levels. Ajahn Sumedho, who until recently was the abbot of the Amravati Monastery in England and who's the senior Western monk in the Thai forest tradition of Ajahn Cha, tells about a time when he was living in a monastery in Thailand. And he asked uh, at that time to be able to spend part of a day practicing in the city morgue. Because he was a monk, the authorities let him go in, though he said they were uh, uh, pretty reluctant to do so. And he said that all of his sense doors, which included his conditioned mind, were fully challenged. Actually, I think he used the words, fully assaulted. He said the first thing that hit him was the smell, which he said almost drove him to run out the door. But he stayed mindfully present, and little by little it became tolerable. It became just a smell, just a scent. And he spoke about his long-standing and very deeply embedded assumptions regarding this package 
of the human form being completely undone in his mind and heart. As he took in the various stages of decay that were all around him. And he mentioned that at one point he looked up on the ceiling and saw all sorts of parts, as he put it, which he said at first he found quite puzzling. He didn't know what it was. And then he very quickly realized that the bloated, very bloated body in front of him could explode at any moment, which he said he very dearly hoped it would not. And he was very glad that it didn't. He said that when he went back out onto the street after that day of practice, that he saw people in a radically new way and with a radically wide open heart. It isn't about being morbid or being strange in some way. All forms, all rupas, living and non-living, are mortal. And we're so attached to forms. Probably, first and foremost, our own form. And also, all sorts of other forms. For many of us, our attachment is so strong that most of the time we live with an almost constant and often unrecognized desire for and attachment to. For instance, forms that please us. Forms that are beautiful to us. Or forms that are amusing or interesting to us. Or simply the taken-for-granted familiar forms. I think what is actually strange and kind of amazing is that fairly often we think and act as if we and they won't change won't die which if we begin to see this habitual way of thinking and acting closely we find that it produces an almost constant state of subtle or not so subtle tension and stress in our heart, our mind, and our body. The Buddha's instructions to attend to corpses of whatever form can be very helpful towards cutting through this state of tension and stress, cutting through clinging, cutting through suffering. How do you know the body? How are you established in this first domain, this first foundation of mindfulness? Mindfulness practice trains us to drop into the body again and again and again. And what we find when we connect and look carefully in the body are basically sensations. Much of the drama of our thought, feelings, and actions begin with sensations. Through mindfulness, we train ourselves to be in the body, to to receive them, to be present with the sensations 
of our body, it's not an act of will. It's an actually an act of unconditional acceptance. It's an act of loving kindness, an act of metta, with equanimity, with grace. This acceptance implies not fighting, not resisting what's presenting itself, not wanting things to be different, and not concealing or hiding from the moment's experience in the body. In such moments, we feel and know our activity as belonging to life. This is life. In our daily life, we might wash dishes as an act of generosity and love. And in that sense, maybe we could call it a holy act. When we open the door, anytime, in retreat or in our daily life, feeling and knowing what the wrist is doing, for instance. We feel our body contract. We might feel our body turn away from cold, from the cold weather. And we catch ourselves and we consciously, with awareness, rise to meet it. The choice to be mindfully aware, as I'm sure you know, is often an act of courage. The essential practice is to return to whatever presents itself in our experience from moment to moment, to feel and know the actual physical sensations of our aliveness. In relationship to the movement practice that Wynne will be offering, as well as in walking practice and in our ordinary everyday movements, movement invites attention. It asks us to practice a kind of devotion to ourselves not in a self-centered way, but as an act of loyalty, we could say. Instead of abandoning ourselves, we learn to inhabit ourselves in a wholesome and wise way. We learn to inhabit this body in a wholesome and wise way. Someone once said, the body is tremendously homesick for us and it waits patiently for our return. Though maybe we've ignored its invitations for many years, when we do say yes, it's immediately available and full of life and full of know-how. And all of a sudden we find that we need no training to be fully alive. We find that we only lacked the determination to feel our aliveness. Which then quite naturally opens the heart, opens the mind to myriad creative expressions of this aliveness.
in closing the talk with some words from the Buddha. There's one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? It's mindfulness centered on the body. Let's just sit quietly for a moment. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.